what's happening, everybody? Welcome to episode 25 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and today we have plenty to discuss. And I, uh, a guest, the guest today is a familiar one, I should say, and his name is Eric Cole. What's happening, Eric? Hey, Brad, what's going on, buddy? Uh, just living the dream, man. Uh, you know, watching some Olympics in the background on mute, uh, watching some gymnastics as we uh, record this, because that's just the type of multitasker that I am. But uh, it's been it's it's been kind of a fun, entertaining weekend in Braves country. Uh, yeah, Braves have looked surprisingly good uh, against teams that are pretty good. So I'm, I mean, it's been a uh, you know certainly interesting week and definitely uh, one that's been more successful than some weeks of late, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could just start with that. The Braves have been not awful recently. They've won 8 of 12, and they've now won back-to-back series against the Pirates and Cardinals. Uh, I guess the best way to talk about this is, like, are you worried about losing the number one pick? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, the Braves have worked rather hard to, to you know, be the front runners for that. So I don't, I don't think they're going to lose that. Um, because the other teams that are like, you know, jockeying for that, which are, you know, like the Reds, the Rays, <laughs> the Phillies, they're, 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 they're sneaking in wins here and there too. So it's just kind of like, you know, I, I, I'm fine with it. If we, the Braves want to keep winning some games and we still get the number one pick. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to see the team playing well. Uh, it's been a little weird because it just feels like this isn't going to be anywhere close to the roster that we're going to be fielding. Cause you know, with Malik's out and then, you know, now Blair's hurt and Gantz out. It just seems like there's a lot of people that are hurt, but it's nice to see the team doing well. Uh, but I don't think there's really that much of a risk of the. I mean, what there's a four game lead, I think, for the first pick in the draft next year. Um, yeah, four four game lead over the uh, Diamondbacks and the Twins at this moment when we record this. Yeah, I mean that that nine nine and twenty nine start. Uh, I mean that's you know that's that's putting in good work towards that end. But I think since then they're thirty one and forty one, which is not completely terrible. It's you know it's, it's certainly not great, but you know. You'd like to see, you know, it's it's nice to see that they're at least improving a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, and we're not going to do that uh, on this podcast, but there's been a lot of, there's been some buzz recently as uh, kind of inevitably that, you know, it's Brian Snicker and go hire no. Brian Snicker because he's, the team's not bad with Brian Snicker and I don't want to make, I don't want to derail the podcast, but I've heard that and let's just say that I don't, I don't agree. <laughs> yeah, strategically it's uh, reminiscent of certain other managerial situations it seems like, but we can... We can derail ourselves elsewhere. We'll gloss over that. I do want to start yeah. with one positive thing, though, um, super positive thing, and that is that Ender and Ciarte has been uh, kind of out of his mind recently. Yeah. Uh, entering yeah. today, he had a 370, 410, 446 slash line in 24 games, and he got you know he had another good day today. Now has an 18 game hitting streak, and I love Ender and Ciarte with all my heart and all my soul. So I'm very excited about this, but. I guess you could pour some cold water on me, or you can tell me that he's suddenly going to be a, like an average regular uh, uh, hitter in the outfield, and that would be a, a pleasant surprise for me. I mean, I never thought like when he, when he started this year. You have to understand, like you know, he's coming into a new situation, a new ballpark. He started off kind of cold, and then he got hurt, and you know, it was like a hamstring injury, which you know isn't. It's not as simple with a hamstring injury. It's not as simple as just. Okay, then you just take a couple weeks off and then it's done. If it's, it's if you if you have a like a pretty bad strain, I mean it takes a little while to come back from that, and then you have to kind of if he has to find his rhythm at the plate again. So I never really thought he was as bad as what he, the way he started the year. Uh, I don't I mean 
you know, spoiler alert, he's not going to be hitting 370 the rest of the year. But oh come on, uh, uh, yeah. But I, I think he can be. I think he can be an. I think he can be an average hitter out there. I wish that he could get on base a little more regularly. His his on base percentage leaves something to be desired under most circumstances. He doesn't really draw a whole lot of walks. Um, and but he it seems like he has the speed where he could you know like you know be a very respectable hitter. And when he's on base, doing good work. Um, and we, we all know what he does in the outfield. He's it's silly. He <laughs> that people try to run on him or try to be cheeky on the base paths when he's out there and the, with the ball in his hand. It, every time it happens, we're like you know someone just takes a turn too far and they just doubles him off or he just guns him out of home. It's just he's a treat to watch in the field. Uh, and I think he could be an average hitter. Yeah, the guy's a monster. We kind of knew that defensively, and uh, you know he can run. I, I agree with you that I'd like to see him take some more walks, just because he can run. He's a good base runner when he gets on base. It's just that uh, I think it's kind of unsustainable. Obviously, the recent thing is definitely unsustainable, but I, I, I tweeted this today. I, I would just be over the moon if he became an average hitting center fielder. That would be because, because his defense is so good and then he can run, like he would suddenly be you know like a three-win player if that was the case. Yep. And that's all you ever need from your, from your uh, very, very cheap, under-control, long-term center fielder. That would be a, a huge win. So hopefully this is a... Uh, Prelude of things to come, obviously not at this level, but hopefully, as you mentioned, I don't think anybody thought he'd be as bad as he was to start the season at the plate, and this is a, sort of a, a course correction that it was welcome, um, at least for me, as a guy who really likes him. Yeah, I really like him too. It is worth noting, and a few people have noticed this, is that the way the outfield aligns right now for the Braves, like I'm not really sure where they're going to ever have power in their lineup. <laughs> um, so they're gonna have to, there's going to have to be make some changes going into next year, but I think we would both, I think all of us would be really happy to see like Malix and Ender and Ciarte roaming out in the outfield, and then maybe bringing someone up like a Dustin Peterson, or bringing in someone else, or, or even just relying on Matt Kemp, who looked good today too. Um, yeah, they're gonna uh, need. They're gonna need. Uh, we could talk about Matt Kemp too, because I, I want to get your thoughts after we talked about it last week. But I want to get your thoughts on the on the Kemp stuff overall. But uh, with Kemp uh, kind of you know presumably being in the uh, everyday lineup or at least close to it, um, I think it would be very nice to have NCRT and Malik's uh, on the outfield defense because Matt Kemp is bad at defense. Yeah, he's pretty bad. <laughs> and at least you know. With, but again, with with Malix, who I think is uh, you know profiles to at least be very good, uh, and because of his speed defensively, and he had a very good start to this season. And we know we know that Ender is good and covers a lot of ground. You can shade heavily to whichever side that Kemp has to be at. And again, I, I, I mentioned this last week, I think Kemp could be hidden uh, down the line, hopefully with a guy like Peterson or somebody that's from outside the organization where you can maybe take advantage of Kemp's uh, ability to mash left-handed pitching and kind of hide him against righties and make him into more of a, uh, not an every everyday player, like a most-of-the-time player necessarily, but it would be uh, interesting to see how they handle that moving forward. But I guess uh, I, I have to ask you about the Kemp stuff since we didn't have you on last week. What do you think about it? What do you think about the money uh, getting rid of Oliveira. What's your overarching uh, takeaway from that whole exchange last week? I, I really liked it. Um, it was a weird deal to process at first because I'm like, okay, well, all that matters is the money, right? Because how much of the Dodgers are going to pick up of Kemp's deal is what matters. If we're just giving them Oliveira and they send us up like five million bucks, that wouldn't have been very good. Uh, but if you just kind of assume the fact that you're, that Hector Oliveira is never going to play another game for the Braves. And that was just going to be true. And it, I assume it, that too, yes. Yeah, yeah. And if you just assume that, and that's just sunk cost, the question becomes, if Matt Kemp is a free agent, would you sign him to a deal for $9 million a year? Uh, I, think I, I think I would. I, I said that last week. I think I, I, think yep. I would. I mean, I, I don't and love it, but I think I would. It's, 
it doesn't have to be like your marquee signing. And I think that because it's Matt Kemp and he's that name, and that a few years ago he was probably one of the best players in baseball, or at least at the plate anyway. He, I don't think he ever played defense super well. But, um, I mean, at the plate and on the base paths, he has been a very special player, and he was supposed to be the next superstar, uh, and it hasn't really happened because of a lot of reasons. But, I mean, if you sign him to that deal, I mean, that's $2 million, you know, Less than like Marcakis gets, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, it's a, that, that that yeah, that that amount of money isn't what it used to be. And if you would sign that player who has significant upside, especially it's in terms of just filling a role on a team, is he like your the premier power power hitter in in baseball right now? Absolutely not. But he serves a function. Even like you need a league average power hitter still serves a role in a lineup. It's not as simple as just, you know, you can fill your lineup with just all contact hitters. Um, it would be nice if all of them were three war contact hitters because that means they're doing that role especially well. But you need to kind of have these guys who have the ability to kind of just – the ability to almost accidentally win games. Like, oh, well, we wouldn't have won except for this one three-run homer or whatever like that. So I like having that guy in the lineup. Um and but I don't but I don't think it's like a some people are like you know this deal has to work out for the Braves because he's getting paid so much money I just don't see it that way I, I they, they didn't expand their payroll that much by acquiring him uh, they still have plenty of money for free agents or trades in the offseason so uh, I like the deal I mean getting rid of Oliveira moving past all of that I was all in favor of yeah it's all it's all about perspective um, and uh, if you take Kemp's contract as it as it is if you ignore the Oliveira component then obviously yep. it's a bad contract. But if you yeah. if you remember Oliveira and the money that was the sunk cost, like you mentioned, then look, it's, it's not it's not bad. It, I don't I don't think Matt Kemp is particularly good. Uh, there's a, you know it's been kind of a punch you back a punching bag already for Braves Twitter just because he's going to be easy to make fun of. His, his defense is is that bad? It just is. I was there uh, two nights in a row this week and just kind of watching his routes in the out. Like it's it's not good. He's not going to be a good defender. In left field, it's going to play better than it did in right field or in, you know, Gasly, uh, that it was playing in center field, which was he should never, play, never be playing center yeah, the, field. The, I, I never watched him much in center. I can't imagine. Oh, it's, it was not. Who, not thought, who thought that was a good, well, who thought that was a good idea? Who's watching that and says, yep, that's our center fielder? Well, there are these teams that just ignored even all together. Like, I think of the Mets playing guys like Suspedes and Conforto in center field. Or like when 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 Josh Hamilton used to play center field in Texas and in, in LA, like there's these teams that just don't care, and they're gonna throw their best hitters out there, and they don't care about defense, and that's kind of what happened at times. When at times, it's just one of those things where it almost doesn't matter. Uh, but Matt Kemp is not going to be a good defensive player, and he's not a good defensive player now. No, and don't expect it to happen. <laughs> no, it's just, not gonna shade, happen. Just, just shed Malik's. You know, shade Malix or shade Ender over to left, and you know, call it a day. What do you think about? I guess we and we'll move on after this. But what do you think about the uh, alignment? If, if we assume that Marquez is gone, and you tell me that your you know your everyday quote unquote lineup is Kemp and Ciarte and Malix, would you play Malix in center and Ender in right? Because that's what I would do. Yeah, I think Ender's arm is better. I don't think Malix has a bad arm, uh, but I just, I think that Ender's arm is better, and I think that the. Things that he can do with his arm, and he's he's kind of like Andrelton in the sense that he was like he's like always looking for outs. Like he's like he'll he'll steal he'll steal outs from another team, uh, doubling guys off and things like that. And I think that plays better in right uh, than in center. And I think that he would be a like you know an outstanding right fielder, and he has experience there. 
Um, I don't think Nalix has the experience in for right uh, either. So I would give, I would put I would put Ender in right uh, and just be happy that you have one of the best right fielders in the game. Yeah, again, we, neither of us think that that's going to be an ideal offensive setup to be playing a guy like Enciarte anywhere but center field. But that's just kind of the nature of the beast right now. Uh, I do want to bring up uh, one very popular name that's come up on uh, Braves Twitter and really across baseball lately, and that is Yasiel Puig. Uh, Puig is now uh, finally reported to Oklahoma City, so he is officially a minor league baseball player at this point. Um, but a lot of Braves people, myself included, have been talking about the team's the team and a potential willingness to trade for a guy like Puig. Uh, this is not a sourced report. This is not we're, we're not reporting interest in, in Puig for the Braves right now on this podcast. But we'll talk about it like it's uh, at least a possibility. And I'll, I'll say this about Puig: uh, his first two seasons, just to set the stage, his first two seasons he had 9.4 F4 combined, which is obviously like an All Star level player. Since then, uh, 2.0 uh, combined F4. Uh, meaning that he's basically been a one-win player for the last two seasons. Uh, he is a very cheap contract, though, uh, 17, $17.5 million total or some, somewhere around there for the next two years, which is uh, less than the uh, difference between Oliver and Kemp, for instance. Um, and, uh, you know, he was not nearly as bad at the end uh, in L.A. as a lot of people seem to think he was. A, a lot of it's his personality, and we'll talk about that. But in the last couple, you know, last couple of weeks, got a couple, couple months in L.A., he was actually hitting the ball well again. Um, so I guess I, I say all, I'll say all that to ask you uh, what you think about Puig and whether it would be worth uh, trading for him given the contract through waivers and how all that has to work. Would that be a guy that you're interested in? I mean, maybe it, th- that with a player like that who has you know his upside is extraordinarily good, uh, but his downside is a guy who is so toxic and can't actually show up to meetings on time and is not a good baseball player. To where like you have to get him off your team as soon as humanly possible. So, and I think that's kind of. I mean, the Dodgers were okay. He was okay with the Dodgers this year, but he was only just okay. And the Dodgers like seemed like they couldn't get rid of him fast enough. They desperately tried to trade him at the trade deadline. Uh, from what I've been reading, they were trying to trade him for like you know a quarter on the dollar to get rid of him, and no one would take it. So it just makes me wonder, you know, if there's more to it than they're making it. You know, they're they're saying. Um, I also think like you know when you have the big drop off that he he's had these last two years, he, he's he's a very exploitable hitter because he's very aggressive. Uh, and so you're not going to have, I don't think you're going to get that production, that high-end production that you think you are out of him. With So that limits his ceiling some. It just depends on the price. And the Dodgers, they don't seem like they're super interested in paying the other team's price or, you know what I mean, having them pay their price. The, the, the Dodgers want to get what they want to get at this point. Um so I don't know. I, I I wish I kind of knew what offers were out there that they refused for Puig before I could like you know be all excited about it because you know, I mean he's now he's down at AAA and he's probably going to hit really well down at AAA just because I do think he's you know advanced enough to really kind of show out against that level of competition. I just don't know. I don't know what the Dodgers would be asking for at this point because by sending him down the AAA really kind of torpedoes their you know his value and their position of this is a major league ready player who can do good things for your team what if i here's the here's the question i asked somebody i want to ask you to you like what if what if you're giving uh say pick the pick a prospect pick uh we'll say somebody like i don't know lucas sims chris ellis somebody in that range for the braves yeah. you send one prospect over there and take his full salary do you do it yeah, yeah i do i do too 
So it's yeah, one that, of those that, things that, where that, that that level prospect now, if they're asking for two top top ten guys, oh then no, yeah, I don't. Do that, that. That, but well, that's just it. You know what I mean? Like what what were they probably asking for this previous off season for Puig? You know what I mean? If oh, their initial price that, was yeah. crazy, yeah. No, I just so think it's, just, it's hard to. I just I just think that you know they know at least they have to know at this point that his value has, is in the tank. Uh, and yeah. but they they couldn't wait it out long enough at the major level to just keep him up there. They were so sick of him. They said that they sent him down anyway, knowing that would torpedo his value. Uh, and they waited through the deadline. Like I don't know why they didn't trade him two weeks ago. Um, but you know, since they didn't, they have to understand and realize that his value's gone. Like it's not completely gone. Like you can get something for him. But you know, what if it's what if it's one prospect in the ten to fifteen range? Like. I don't even know who that is for the Braves right now in your mind, but like, like a maybe maybe like a real Ruiz or sure, like maybe, I, I would yeah. do I would do that. Pro- I would prob I would probably do that. Yeah, it's because of the deal for me. It's because he's so cheap. Yeah, he's he's not he's yeah he's cheap. Now the thing is like, at some point we're gonna have to figure out what to do with all these outfielders <laughs> because there's gonna be a lot of guys that are locked up. So it's not as simple for me as just like let's just go grab the guy because we still gotta figure out what to do with Marquez. Who probably doesn't need to be playing in this outfield anymore? Oh yes. Um, and and yeah. you know, and you know, we got away from Alex to come back, of course. But then Matt Kemp's still going to be under contract. The Braves seem to be enamored with Frank Gore because they did not trade him at the trade deadline, and it makes me wonder if they're going to try to bring him back as like a veteran type deal. I mean, I just I don't I don't know what the plan is with the rest of the roster. I mean, the the for the right price, sure, go after Puig, you know. But at the same time, you have to kind of. It's not. It's hard to take in a vacuum when we have all these other external factors. Where we now have, you know, we're gonna have Malix, we're going to have Nick Marquez, we're going to have Matt Kemp, we're going to have Ender and Crt. There's just a lot of these guys that we're gonna maybe want, maybe want to give playing time to, and we have to see how it plays out. But it's kind of hard for me to say let's go get Puig when he's not like a lock to be better than any of those guys. For sure. I mean, I I I want that type of talent. I know the Braves do too, but you know the the pr- the price you pay with the risk with him is real, as you mentioned. Yeah. Like there's a yeah. there's a non-zero chance that you just want that guy to go away immediately when you get him. Uh, yep. He's that he's that toxic of a personality. We've seen that with L.A. Who you know you know the Dodgers don't want. And a lot of Bra- and a lot of Braves fan- a lot of Braves fans hate him. Oh no! I mean that's the other yeah. thing. That's that's the most divisive <laughs> thing is that people around. Uh, they can't be rational about Puig. They hate him so much because of his personality. Like there are some people yep. that would tell you that they wouldn't take him for free, and I, that that's crazy <laughs> for me. They're, yeah, yeah, they're crazy. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I just think it's worth talking about and trying to assess his value. I don't think the Braves are necessarily going to be in on him unless the deal works perfectly. But um, the lo- the outfield logjam is real. Uh, getting rid of Marquez seems to be like a formality to me at this point after getting Kemp. But you still have to find a taker because I don't think you're they're just going to pay him to go away. Uh, it's not. The deal isn't prohibitive, I don't think, um, but you're probably going to have to pay some of it to get him to go away. Um, yeah. And, you know, you, you can't have an outfield uh, as currently constructed with Marquez and Kemp in it. That would not work. I guess you could platoon those guys. That would be one heck of an uh, expensive platoon next year. Uh, that would not be ideal by any stretch. Um, so no. <laughs> there's, there, there's a move coming somewhere. That's, that's, so, that's some, so something's going to happen, yeah. Uh, speaking of moves, we can move off of uh, the outfield talk for a second. The Braves did make a trade this week, a uh, post-waiver uh, deal for Hunter Cervenka, who was a guy, uh, a relief pitcher, who was uh, a guy we talked about a little bit in the last couple of weeks as a target of some teams 
Um, the Braves flipped him into uh, two of uh, Miami Marlins' top 25 prospects, in, uh, right. Anf- Anfernee Seymour and Michael Mater. Uh, I'll let you talk about these guys a little bit more, but let me before you before I let you talk uh, the smart prospect guy talk about these guys. I'm calling Anfernee Seymour Penny, and I don't care. Uh, what he thinks or what anyone else thinks, he will be Penny Seymour to me from now <laughs> until the end of time. Uh, with that, I will give you the floor to talk about prospects because you're much better at this than I am. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, uh, we'll talk about Mater. The, uh, Michael Mater is very much a... Um, I would I would call him more like a depth arm, uh, maybe with some upside. Uh, doesn't really strike out a lot of guys. We're talking about maybe... You know, five K. You're you're looking at a player who's like five K's a start. Uh, after that, he's he kind of like a ground ball guy. Uh, tries to pitch for control. He's pitching in high A right now. He's 22 in high A, and he has put up okay results, like a 3.5 ERA, which you take, but you're not super excited about. Um, but the real exciting player is Anthony Seymour. Uh, this is a guy who was kind of an above an above slot. Um, Above slot signing in round seven a couple years ago. Um, what you really need to know about him is that he is crazy fast, crazy crazy. Fast. I saw I saw eighty grade speed. Is that true? Is he really is he really uh, yes. eighty? Yes. Now, some of these eighty grade speeds have kind of it's getting muddled a little bit because basically you need to measure it up against Billy Hamilton, who has been the was the fastest player in the minor leagues and has been one of the fastest players. To come out of the minor leagues into the majors in the past fifteen years, Billy Hamilton. Billy, isn't he? Isn't he a ninety grade speed? <laughs> he, it's it's insane. It's like you know, if he hits a grounder, like you can see the panic in every infielder's eyes because he can like if you're not like charging and you have a good arm, he's taking first. I don't know how his average hasn't isn't better because he's really really fast. Um, now that said, uh, I have heard, and I don't know if this is true. I have heard. That Billy Hamilton's sixty-yard dash is six point five, right? Anthony Seymour's is six point one. Oh, that that can't be true. Now, I I, I very skeptical. <laughs> very as am but, I, but I mean, even even the mention of it gets me excited. I'll tell you that. Yeah, uh, he uh, his uh, first hit for the Braves organization was today, uh, and it was a routine grounder to second uh, that the pitcher had to cover, and that pitcher had no hope whatsoever of catching him like had him beat to the bag by three steps um he's really really fast um now there's some questions as to whether or not he'll ever actually be have a really a, a real hit tool um he seems a little, he, he seems a little bit raw um we'll see uh he but with that kind of speed with that kind of exciting tool that's the kind of guy you want and you're talking about a, a player in hunter Savenka who we loved and when we saw him in the minors this year we wanted him like why isn't he you know the lefty specialist because he was so good, and then they called him about two weeks later. But he was in indie ball not that long ago. It's insane. They basically they basically got him for free, and then they got a guy to for him. They got a guy with a true eighty grade tool, which is a rare thing. And plus a, another and prospect, yeah, and another guy, <laughs> and another prospect who's could feasibly be, you know do spot starts down the line. Uh, I don't think he's going to be super great uh, as a you know as a pitching prospect, but I could be wrong. Um, it's insane to me. Like the copy is just always looking for value, and I I'm a little shocked that they actually got this got this guy because he's 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 really fast and he's he could be very exciting for sure. 
Yeah, um, I mean, you you had to know. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week that the Braves weren't going to stop making calls on on these uh, on these guys like Cervanka, like Kroll, like the veterans like Jim Johnson or Gordon Beckham or whoever else. Yep. Like you knew they were going to try to trade these guys through waivers. It just was even faster than I thought it would be. And to get a real return like this, like. Hardaway was what their number eight prospect in the Miami system, according to MLB Pipeline, something like that. Uh, like a top ten yep. guy for them. Uh, and the Marlins, not a great system by all accounts, no. but still no. a top ten prospect in my system for Hunter Cervenka, who you got again for nothing, um, is kind of insane. It's just what it is, and that's that. Copies found these inefficiencies of guys like this, where this is why you this is why you grab these guys. This is why you sign a bunch of first round. I mean, for one year vets. Like, I mean, I guess they refused to trade Frank Core for some reason, but. Frank Core and Beckham and Johnson and you you sign Kelly Johnson and trade him again like these are the guys you just keep this, <laughs> this is how you, this is why you fill your roster out with these guys so you can trade them later uh, it works out it's worked out great I mean even if so, you know half these moves don't matter even if uh, even if Penny uh, flames out in grand in grand fashion it, it doesn't make it a bad move it's just what you this is the that type of organizational building stuff that I just absolutely love yeah it's it's the these are the sorts of the deals where you're just like, did Coffee just like steal a uh, steal another guy? Because I mean, it's you know very similar to like the Travis Demerit deal, where you know this is a guy with very real power is leading his league in home runs, admittedly in a very in, in, hitter inflated league, but he's like leading the league in home runs, and that we get we get rid of two relievers that were, were literally unemployed three months ago, and that's what it took to get him. Like I love those sorts of inefficiencies, and I love how the way he thinks about trades and just constantly trying to bring talent into the system. We're at the point now where, like, I saw the Cervenka thing come across Twitter without the return, and I was already happy because <laughs> I knew I knew Copy got some asset that would be better than her Cervenka. So, That's how confident yeah, I am in Copy. Yep, some point. diamond in the rough where if it. Pays off. It's it's silly how good the trade is. Yeah. Well, it's it's just a we, it's just a weird feeling as a as a fan and somebody I guess some you know somebody who covers the team. It's just as soon as the trade happened, I knew it was going to be a good one because I I've basically liked every trade they've done since the Oliveira trade. Like every other trade they've done, I've liked, which is crazy. It's a crazy ratio for someone. And I'm I'm a pessimist by nature. Like I don't necessarily love everything that everybody does, and right. I'm loving basically everything Copy does right now. It doesn't mean it's all going to work again, but. Uh, another uh, another deal that almost everybody agrees the Braves got the best of, and that's exactly what you want. Yep. Uh, moving on from that, uh, a couple of guys who kind of made, uh, not a debut for one of them, but a, a major league debut for one of these guys, uh, two guys that are currently in the rotation, um, Tyrell Jenkins and Rob Whalen. Uh, plenty to talk to talk about with both of these guys, but uh, Jenkins has a 3.81 ERA in his five starts as during the rotation, but uh, that kind of comes with a massive caveat, and then he has 11 strikeouts and 18 walks in 26 innings. Uh, we've talked about Jenkins before, you and I. Um, this is not helping my perception of Tyrell Jenkins. I don't care about the ERA. If you're going to walk 18 guys in 26 innings without striking anybody out, that terrifies me. Uh, can you give me anything positive about Tyrell Jenkins, or should I be as worried as I am? Uh, I mean, it's, it's worth being skeptical of the results because, I mean, ultimately, for last year, you know, since he kind of came back from injury, uh, that shoulder injury that kind of kept him out of the Marlins, uh, the Cardinal system, uh, which ultimately kind of led him to being available, um, he's been a ground ball pitcher. Uh, and a lot of his, like, the numbers that were not good the, for, for this year for him came in that awful Colorado start. <laughs> where I think that 
I, and I've heard this before, like when you try to throw, you, you try to throw breaking pitches, and when you try to like throw pitches where I have movement, especially downward movement, they don't move. like they just it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in in Colorado. So and he got he got shelled, um, and that was just, that's just the thing that's going to happen. Uh, Colorado's not an easy place to play. Um, yes, he's walking too many guys. Eighteen I, walks, twenty six innings, eighteen. Sorry, I just. He doesn't strike anybody out, and it's like, I know, I know, like, I know that's a small sample, but like, this is not a new thing. He doesn't, he walks guys. If you walk guys like well, that, you better strike out guys, and he doesn't strike anybody out. <laughs> well, now the walks had improved in the minors. That's the, to it be has, clear about that. That, 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 that. that, but now it's a, a, it's another issue again. I'm gonna give a guy who got jerked around, got threw into a bullpen, then got called up for the bullpen, and then they got called up to do a bunch of starts. And really all the guy's done is put up good results with the exception of the I mean, the peripherals aside, the results have been mostly good. Uh, and he's been kind of been tasked with just doing whatever anyone tells him to do. So I can understand the skepticism about him because he's not missing the bats and he's having trouble with the strike zone. Uh, but I'm willing to give a young player time to figure it out, especially since... He has a track record of, despite these peripherals, still finding ways to get wins and get outs. Um, will it, will it may turn out in the long run? I don't think so. Uh, I think he's. I don't think his peripherals are necessarily as like you know scary and awful as like Williams Perez, where like literally every inning it was like two on none out. Good luck. And yeah, you know Williams, a- with, you know you know I don't I don't feel like it's that severe. Uh, and I do think that he is just a young guy getting better. So he is not. Uh, I understand. Through- He's not hit the Williams Perez tier for me of guys who I just written off. I haven't written off Jenkins. I think there's a, there's a non-zero chance that he becomes effective. Uh, and I know I know you hated them when they moved to the bullpen. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast. I know you absolutely hated that, uh, and I was kind of with you. Um, but I just you know I, strike st- not striking anybody out and walking guys is not. I, I know the ground ball stuff is encouraging, but it's the same problem I had with Matt Whistler, honestly, and that's the reason why I don't. Love well, that Matt Whistler. now now the that well now the problem with that. Whistler is not was he, was he wasn't giving up too many ground balls. Is that there were too many balls that were going exit velocity of hundred plus? Yes. Yeah. So uh, that, that, that's a different problem. For sure. No, I just I just meant the strikeout to walk stuff with Whistler. Is sure. that if you, unless you're just an incredible control guy, you have to strike out more than six guys in an inning. I mean, six guys per game, uh, nine innings, I should say. And that's just not what either one of these guys do. That uh, that's it's been a mystery since Jenkins was even acquired by the Braves. For me, is like. How can you have the stuff that he has and not strike anybody out? It's like almost baffling. Yeah, to me. it's yeah, it's weird because I mean he he has like the breaking ball and the fastball that you'd want for getting strikeouts. Um, I'm I'm, I'm, willing, I'm willing to give the guy some time because he's had stri- I mean early on in his minor league career, he was getting those strikeout numbers that you want. Um, giving him some time to figure out his control and actually locating his breaking pitches and actually finding the striking the strike zone a little bit more often with those. Uh, I think you'll find him doing doing better with peripherals, but at the same time, I can understand the skepticism. It's not certainly not without merit. For sure. Um, quickly on Rob Whalen, who's not necessarily as nearly as big of a name as Tyrell Jenkins, but Whalen made his major league debut this week. Uh, had a really, really rough first inning in which he allowed four runs, but uh, kind of impressively recovered from that and got through five innings while only allowing four runs in that start. What did you see from Whalen? I was actually at this game and thought he was going to give up 15 runs in the first inning. That's how bad he looked. 
He couldn't hit his spots. He was clearly terrified, which is justifiable. <laughs> uh, but he, Look, he settled down. I, I, I mean, it's more. It's really more about like I guess I'm asking you more about what he actually is as a pitcher, more as uh, one start because he was clearly uh, a rattle in that first inning, but impressively recovered. Yeah, well, he's he's been one of the better pitchers in the minor league system. Uh, I like his fastball. I like that he always seems to be aggressive and challenge hitters. You know, and just like kind of make them make them do something with his pitches because he's going to generally throw the ball for strikes. Uh, what I saw in the first inning, I mean, that first inning, you know, a, a guy who's crazy nervous. So you're, you know, your command of your pitches isn't exactly going to be at your best in the, under those circumstances. And that's completely understandable. And it's a guy who gave up a three run Homer. I mean, it's not like, you know what I mean? It's not like they get, they like, he like walked four runs in or anything like that. You know what I mean? Uh, a three run shot that, that that'll make your line look a little ugly, but you know, sometimes, there's two on, and you know a guy gets a hold of one, uh, and he came back and settled down and gave the, the Braves a very needed five innings out of him. Um, I do I think I think he has his ceiling is very much like a fourth or fifth starter. Um, I don't think he'll be much more than that, um, but he's a guy who you will want in that fourth or fifth spot because he'll put up he'll put out innings, and you don't feel like. Your team is going to be like have to put up a bunch of runs to be in the game. You know, he's just he's not going to put up spectacular strikeout numbers. He's not going to put up stri- spectacular, you know, like go like you know eight nine innings and things like that. But he'll be a guy that you can get six innings out of, and he will get outs, and he'll keep your team in the game. Yeah, it's not, you know, organizational depth arms like Whalen, uh, I think, are good to have around, like guys who you can uh, at least throw out there every once in a while, even if you don't want to plan on that guy being in rotation right now. Uh, he's going to be for the next, you know, at least next couple of weeks. It looks like because the Braves are battered yep. in the rotation with uh, uh, the great Roberto Hernandez making a start over the weekend. Um, <laughs> that was this that is, was hysterical. Uh, yeah, this is not exactly the best situation health wise. Uh, Aaron Blair is now hurt, which we can hit on if you want to as well. But Whalen is just a guy, uh, and that's fine. Uh, but I was I was actually impressed by what he did after that first inning because. Uh, a lot of guys would implode there and just get absolutely hammered and get bounced after you know an inning of third, and he battled and got through four score one of sayings after that, and uh, that impressed me. Even if it's just that's me being a narrative sap, but uh, I liked I like what I saw a little bit. Even if I don't see the uh, the upside, you mentioned a four or five starter. That's that's all you, that's all you could ever ask out of Whale. And if you get any sort of uh, starting level production out of him, that's not embarrassing. You'll take it, given that he is a guy with not a ton of expectations. Yeah, I mean, he look, he's a top 25 prospect in the system right now probably. Uh that's where we have him. And he's a guy that, you know, I won't I if he's in the rotation at the end of the year from from now until the end of the year, I'm not upset about it. Because he's he the guy I knows how to pitch. I'm I I'm not relying on him to be the future of the organization, but I'm I could I have no problems with him being a major league pitcher right now. And that's just the truth. I I like he's a place in the rotation. I just think it's at the back end of it. And that's, you know, and he went out there and did exactly what he was supposed to do. If you told me beforehand that he was going to go five innings, four earned, you know what I mean, and you know, and end up winning the game all day, all yeah, day. Yeah, no, that's that's. I mean, I have no problem with it either. Put that guy in the rotation the rest of the way. He won't embarrass you by any stretch. Nope. It's better than throwing out a guy who's not ready. Uh, he's clearly you know close to ready to pitch. He's yep. a mature pitcher. Um, so that's it's that's a guy who I he's not going to be embarrassing. That's all you can ask for uh, in terms of he's not blocking anybody inherently because there's not really anybody out of out of your best young arms. None of those guys are really ready to pitch right now at the major league level, like Newcomb and those guys who are uh, the closer ones. They're not ready to go. Uh, and with Aaron Blair uh, as bad as he was and now hurt, 
in AAA. Um, it's not like there's a lot of guys being down the door. Um, well, uh, Aaron's going to be back right away. Um, oh, I think he uh, will be too. I just no, well, I, I, yeah, I, I, I talked to a couple people uh, that sources. The that, uh, yeah, a couple, a, a couple sources here and there. Uh, in a bullpen session, just kind of tweaked his knee, and like the next day, he was like doing his normal normal lifting and stuff like that without any pain. So I'm not. I, I imagine that probably sometime in the middle of this week, he's going to do a start. Down at AAA, and then he'll be, you know, he'll be right back in the rotation again, you know, right back in the rotation again. They might not let him go, you know, maybe a full start, that first start, just to make sure that his knees all right. But he'll be fine. Whether that he gets called back up right away, I don't know. I mean, I would, I would hope so because there's not really many other options left. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like uh, if Blair can pitch, they almost have to bring him up. And he was, he's been pretty good in, in the last, you know, I think his three starts since he got demoted. Um, Five earned runs in 19 innings. He has 19 strikeouts against five walks. That's pretty good. Um, again, it's AAA, and he was doing well in AAA before he got called up and then got hammered at major league level. But Blair is uh, a guy who's not a superstar prospect, but a good prospect who is going to be, I think, going to be relied upon, if not for next year's rotation, as a contender for it. We'll see how he fares the rest of this year and in the spring. But there's a chance he's in the rotation to start next season. Um, so you want you want that guy to get as much experience and as much tuning uh, as you possibly can. And if he's healthy, as, a, as he seems to be, um, with the hashtag sources that you have there, um, I'm good. I, w- I want to see more of Aaron Blair. I know it didn't go well at the end of his last stint, but that uh, doesn't mean you want to bury that guy for any well, Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he has to learn how to command his fastball at the major league level against major league hitters. If he can command his fastball, everything else plays. But when he doesn't command his fastball, it can get ugly um, because his stuff isn't overpowering. It's not he has a you know he has a good fastball and he has you know good breaking stuff, but it's not crazy good to where he can just like you know you know just launch it up there and then you know a lot of times guys won't know what to do with it. But if he can if he can locate that fastball, he can be a very he could be he could be a middle of the rotation starter. He won't be an ace, but like I said, another one of those guys that's really valuable for an organization. Yeah, give give me all the Aaron Blairs. If he can turn out to be a, a solid third starter, like yep. sure, sign me up for that. Like that's a win in any in any book on Aaron Blair. Um, <laughs> before we get to the pros- one prospect list we want to talk about, I have a note here that we both laughed at uh, before the podcast began, and that is that Adonis Garcia and oh, suddenly Jesus. Brooks Robinson at third base, <laughs> and I want you to tell everyone why he's not Brooks Robinson at third base, because I'm actually, I mean, no lie, we, uh, my Twitter account and our uh, our site Twitter account at Talking Chop actually got, like, non-ironic questions about Garcia as a starting third base because of his, his and I quote, his defensive improvement. Please tell the people that he cannot play third base. <laughs> okay. Ignoring the fact that a routine bouncer today managed to get past this man. Oh, which great, uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was it was peak Garcia at that play. He has improved, but to keep in mind that you are looking at the first two months of the season as where he improved from, where he was easily the worst defensive player in baseball. Not third baseman pro- player. He he player. was you you. Uh, Ivan and I did an article about just how like there are several offenders on the Braves and just how badly defensive they are. Uh, Eric Arbar was really high on that list as well. It, I, I, I'd have to look at it again. But it was basically like one out of five times if the ball was hit to Adonis, something bad happened. <laughs> Which I is mean, not like, good it, it, was, it wasn't just an error. It was like you know the guy would reach base when he shouldn't have been able to, or 
uh, it was an error or a run would score that would normally not score if anyone else was playing third base. Uh, and I'd have to look. I'd have to look at the numbers again, but it was like shocking how bad he was. Uh, and then the best part was like he they moved him to the left field right before they demoted him, and he was like, "I really think I can be a good third baseman. I'm not sure what the problem is. I'm just like, have you been like watching your game tape? He's were not. He, he is not. He. he <laughs> yeah. He, look, if he was hitting. 350 with a bunch of power that'd be one thing and he's been but he's been only fine at the plate and like defensively this improvement is not sustainable more often than not he's gonna like when he was defensively at last year wasn't good beginning of the year was historically terrible Uh, don't a month month and a half of him making some good plays and not completely embarrassing himself that does not make him a starting third baseman at all no he's listen i mean for his I agree with you on all that, of course, on his uh, on his defense. It's not good. It's probably not going to be good at any point. It can be improved. He's been better. There's no question about that. Yep. Adonis Garcia is 31 years old. Yep. And he has a and he has an WRC plus below 100 at third base. He's not a good baseball player. He can hit a no, little bit. Yeah. I'm not. And yep. this and this lineup, and he, and, he looks and, like he's and, a good hitter. And he and he and he can have good games. Sure. The, like, the, these things that he hit, like that, that catch that went over the wall and almost doubled that guy off. Great. These things can happen. Yeah. These things can happen he because is, he'll put himself he'll put himself in the fray every time. Now there is a non-zero chance of something completely catastrophic happening of him trying to make a play he should have no business even trying for, and the result is like instead of like you know first and second and one out it's like bases loaded a run scores. I mean because he'll like sail a throw or you know boot a ball into the outfield just. He's not the guy at third. You know, I'm fine with him being on the team, <laughs> but maybe yeah. as a bench player, like no, a like a pitcher or something. But other than that, no. He's a major leaguer. I mean, over. I mean, I think it's about I don't know five six hundred plate appearances in the last two years. He has a one point one f four. Like that's he's a major leaguer. Yep. But he's not a starter. Like he's not a starting he be, caliber player. He should he should be a he should be a bench player. A guy you could, like you know as a you know spot starts in left field maybe a spot starting third base if you're absolutely in a he's pinch. A bench bat, a guy yeah. who's pinch. That's what he is. Yeah, yeah. That's just that's just what he needs to be. Uh just don't put him anywhere where you know a lot of balls roll out to because um someone mentioned the possibility of like I don't know what it was, but if uh, I think maybe it was when Ibar was um was um had had choked and they weren't sure or no it was when it was just Ibar was hurt and they maybe someone's actually said this and I I'd have to go back and look at when it was. Someone said well maybe Adonis can just cover short for one game. Oh my lord! And the <laughs> no, thank you. I, I I was just laughing at the sheer prospect of like all the balls that would normally get you know when Andrew was out there. What would happen if Adonis got was in those lame positions? Oh. <laughs> and I just started laughing. I didn't want to think about it, but yeah, no. I think the other thing people think again. This is this is the Hector Oliveira corollary is that Gar- Garcia because he came up late. People think he's young. He's thirty-one. He's, oh, he's not young he's at all. He's thirty-one years old. He's not a prospect. Like, nope. He's not. This is not a young guy. Like, give me Rio. Give me Rio Ruiz out there next he, year. He, he is the sure. definition of a. He's the definition of a stopgap. No, and Rio's look, and Rio's look pretty good defensively at third base. Uh, Bat's been a little bit inconsistent, but I mean, not. I would definitely give Rio a shot over Adonis any day. And I think he's going to get one. Uh, and that we could transition there to our uh, our last uh, little segment here on the podcast. Um, 
the good people at MLB Pipeline uh, released the top 20. I think it was last week. might have been a week before that. Um, had some shakeups. Uh, I can read the whole list here. But they all, the big headline there here is that they included the rookies this year. So you're talking about Ian Anderson and Kevin, Kevin Maton and Maiton. Is it Maiton? I always do this with you. Um, anyway, uh, and uh, they also included Travis Demerit, who we talked about a little bit on this podcast. Um, the order uh, the, that they uh, that they used here is uh, Dansby Swanson, number one, number two, Ozzy Albies, followed by Sean Newcomb, Colby Allard, Ian Anderson, Mike Soroka, Joey Wentz, Kevin Maton slash Maiton, Travis Demerit, Tuki Toussaint, Max Freed, Kyle Mueller, Austin Riley, uh, and then Tyrell Jenkins, Lucas Sims, Rio Ruiz. Chris Ellis, Ronald Acuna, Dustin Peterson, and the great Max Posey. Um, we looked we looked at this list a little bit before we started recording. I guess uh, any any anything that you think is crazy here. Um, and I guess we start with that. That's a good place to get uh, get into it a little bit. Anything that you I just wildly disagree with. Um. So this is a little. I don't. I I think they're putting like Demerit and Seymour as guys that high. Like I, I don't. I think Seymour is so raw that putting him in the top twenty-five in a system with established talent that isn't as raw is problematic. Uh, and putting Demerit at nine, I mean, it, it's clear that they were very high on him. Like Pipeline itself was very high on him in the Ranger system, and I think they've just kind of seen all the the power output that he was putting out in in that league, and were high on him in their system, and just kind of. It felt a little lazy, just like oh well, he was going to be nine. They're going, they're going to put him at nine in this in, in the Ranger system. We'll just put him at nine in the Brave system and be done with it, and then we can revise the ratings later. Um, in terms of wildly disagree, I would not characterize anything as wild, like a wild disagreement. Uh, my our list does our list look anything like this? No, um, but it's. If you just shuffle a few names around here and there, a, a, a list can look very different. Um, I, the, the new acquisition, like Demerit, was the one that was like uh, seemed pretty high for me, especially since he's a guy who kind of has a lot of risk, and I think the system's better than there are other players in the system that are better than him. Um, it's funny. Someone asked me to. Someone asked me either today or yesterday, comparing this list to the one that Fangraphs put out the, the before the year. Um, and that one was that that list that Fangraphs put out was historically bad. Yeah, it was. It was like, like even it was for comical. me, it was hilarious. I'm not even, and I'm not nearly as well versed well, on these guys as you are, but I, I was cracking up throughout reading that list. Well, here's here's the thing. You know, I'm I'm a very affable guy, uh, and I like you know I like look making a prospect list is, is list is not easy, and I will not pretend to know all the answers. And guys like Jim Kalis and Jonathan Mayo and um, you know the guys at Baseball America, all of them, Badler, JJ Cooper. They put a ton of work into making this, uh, making this a a list that is useful for people as a resource. So I respect that a lot. The list that came out of Fangraphs was flat out lazy. It, like when you have Ryan John, Weber, Ryan Weber is a top five prospect. John Gant is a top five prospect. Guys, just leaving guys off the list like Austin Riley and Colby Allard, and kind of giving lip service to like, well, one was injured, so I just don't want to list them, and then completely forgetting about another one. That that's something to get upset about. When like when you see a guy like Joey Wentz at seven, that's a little high, but that's just a 
a scout believing in the guy. You know what I mean? We had Lucas Sims at three or, you know, in our top in the top five last year. And people were yelling at us about it. But that's just us believing in his stuff. If you just if you make a decision about a guy saying, look, I believe in his fastball and his curveball, that they're really good, then you just you rank it accordingly. But this doesn't feel lazy to me. This just, just feels like that they have their preferences on how guys have looked so far. Um, and I'm fine with that. I really am. Like it's I don't do I agree with it? No, there's lots of things I can nitpick about it, but that's not I don't see how that's necessarily helpful. The only thing that I did find a little little bit weird was that they came out with their top 30 list not that long ago without these guys, the, the right. new guys in it. And it had at the very end they had a completely different player at 30. And now and and they got a lot of criticism for not including the player that they now include now. <laughs> it was weird like they had Luke Dykstra at 30. Everyone's like, "Wait, what? Well, how do you not have Patrick Weigel in the top 30?" And then they make these changes, you know, adding, you know, um adding Seymour and adding Demerit, and then we're all looking at it and we're like, wait, what's Weigel doing there? He wasn't there before. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird to do things like that, but, you know, that's, that's very nitpicky. Um, I, and I... The list is fine. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Dustin Peterson at 18 seems low, you know? <laughs> but, you know, Tuki Tucson is, you know... I mean, Tim Mayton's probably the other one that's the big name that he was the new name uh, that was put on the list uh, at number eight. Some people, a lot, a lot of people, I think would have him higher. That's a hedge, I think. That screams yeah. hedge. Yeah, but me. that's just that's, like, just that's just it. That's just a preference on how you want to do things. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, a lot of people were a lot more upset about it than I was. I looked at the list and I was like, eh, I don't. I didn't think it was very good. But at the same time, I didn't think. I thought like you know if you think about a few pictures a certain way I could see where we could come to this list. So yeah, I got I got a lot of questions or we got a lot of questions at our, at our account and on mine just about like people being angry about the list, which is why I wanted to ask you about it. But the, that's the, kind of the, the response I thought. Well, the people the thing that people are more angry about, and I tend to feel a little strong more strongly about it, is that Pipeline has the Braves as the ninth best farm system in the major. Yeah, league. that was um that that was seemed that's great. <laughs> Well, that seems suspiciously like trying to push a narrative of like these deadline deals being so important. You know what I mean? What they just did, like change the landscape of the of the minor leagues, and that's just not what happened. You know what I mean? The Yankees did extraordinarily well. I have no problems with anyone saying that they have the number one system in the farm, number one farm system, because they have a lot of they, for the they get for basically two relievers. They got a crazy good return, and they should be applauded for that. But like putting the Brewers at one, and putting all these other teams that all of a sudden that, that didn't do anything at the deadline, and like putting them all of a sudden ahead of the Braves just because, even though the Braves added talent to their system, I, I have, I don't have any respect for that logic at all. But um, apparently, I was certainly one of the quieter ones. That did, did they hate the draft? Like that was the first thing. No. That's the first thing I thought about. I was like, wait, they added no. these guys. From, they had, the Braves had basically, you know, effectively three first round picks and Mayton, and they suddenly somehow fell. And I was they, like, that they, doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense at all. And uh, and like the three draft picks the Braves made, the Braves made are their number five, seven, and twelve prospects. Right. I just, I like it just doesn't. It, it, just, it, just, it just no. It doesn't make any sense. The, the their logic was that all of their pitchers have little to no experience so far. Which is That's not it. a new phenomenon, but no, okay. no. It, welcome to the minor leagues. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? like you know, I mean, like the, the, the you're going to have more guys that have limited experience than experience because of attrition. That's just what happens. Um, it, I didn't. Make, we could go into like the the teams that they ranked higher, higher than them, why and why that doesn't work for me. But uh, I have no problems with the one the the top thirty list. That's 
that's just personal preference. Now, ranking the Braves farm system ninth, that's silly. Like that's the Braves are a top five farm system easily. Like that's 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 an easy. Now, your own preferences beyond that, you know, we can you can figure you know ceiling versus depth and all that stuff. You can talk about all that stuff, and that's fine. I think that the Braves have one of the best farm systems in baseball, uh, and putting them at ninth, that I did not like. Yeah, just for context, uh, Keith Law of ESPN had the Braves number one in his last in his last update. Uh, people obviously pay a lot of attention to Keith Law, who I like because uh, he's on ESPN, who happens to be the worldwide leader in sports. So we say so. <laughs> the Braves were the Braves were uh, more uh, Braves fans were more excited about that list for good reason. Um, but just for context, these guys are the this is easily the lowest I've seen the Braves in a recent prospect update in terms of ranking system. So take it for what it's worth. But uh, our guy uh, and our our team does not really love that uh, ranking, as you can hear by the tone of Eric's voice there. Yeah, I didn't, didn't didn't like that one. But the top thirty list, it's fine. You know, I mean, I'm not super excited about it, but midseason lists—they're notoriously, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I should uh, ask you one one thing about that before I let you go, and that is, uh, I was I was at least happy to see your boy Mike Soroka at number six. So they, <laughs> they at least they at least uh, subscribed to your way of thinking with uh, quote unquote your guy and Mike Soroka. So uh, uh, you, you were on you were on before everybody. So I'm I'm proud uh, of you. Uh, yeah, I've been kind of dug in on him forever. Um, did now I have to ask you though? Did you see the tweet that Tuki put out on Soroka's birthday? I did, but tell the people anyway about it because I'm, okay. I'm sure it, that not everybody saw it. It's amazing. So Soroka, uh, he's a big kid, and one of the best one of one, one of his more defining attributes is he has like a really long neck, like crazy long. And the, on his birthday, which was just this past week, someone had a um, Tuki Tuki Tassant, another luminary of the Braves farm system, had a picture of. Sor- of Mike Soroka, which featured his neck prominently, this the pose that he was in, it looked almost comically long. And I guess a running joke on the team is that he looks like an ostrich. So the the birthday tweet they got was a juxtapos- juxtaposed picture of an ostrich and Soroka, and then and then a birthday message. It was hysterically funny, and I heard and and I and I retweeted it. And not long after, I had a message from Mike saying, "Oh God, it's everywhere." Oh yeah, I'm sure that thing got that thing. If I saw it, I, I don't follow those guys' t- accounts, uh, so if I saw it, that means it was uh, getting getting widespread. So I enjoyed it thoroughly, and I'm just so glad that you uh, you and Mike have this relationship between between the two of you because that, uh, that's just how it should be. Mike Soroka is your guy forever. Um, look, um, I have I I believe in the guy. I believe in the guy. He's he and he's he just doesn't stop being like every time. It's like you know maybe this is the time where the wheel has come off. And he remembers that he's 19 years old in a ball. You know what I mean? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to throw six shutout innings. No problem. That's all. Yeah. He's, uh, he's going to be like, good. Yeah. All he does is just, he just gets out, strikes guys out, doesn't walk anyone. He's given up. I'd have to look again just to make sure. I think he's given up one home run in his pro career. Which is just one. preposterous if that's true. I, I didn't look that up either, I, I, so I won't and, say it is, no, but you know, it, it is. It, it, it's, it's either one or two. It's not it, so it sure. Is, two, two would be pretty yeah, good too. Yeah, like it's silly. His numbers are like if you're just kind of like you know you kind of look at his lines you're like okay five innings. Kind of wish he went a little deeper. You know what I mean something like that. But then like you look at his like season numbers, you're like this is silly what he's doing right now. You know, as a 19 year old, like yeah, he's, he's not he's not he's not getting worse. You know. 
he's he's preposterously good um, for what, especially given the fact that he kind of came out of nowhere. But uh, we were in on him early, so hopefully people will remember that and uh, credit you and all those things. Uh, I guess that'll probably wrap us up for today, Eric. But if you have anything to plug, uh, that would be that would be a good time to do it. I know there's something. There's always something for our minor league coverage that is worth getting out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, luckily for us, anyway, it's kind of winding down a little bit. Um, there'll be a lot of end, a lot of end, end of season stuff that we'll do. Uh, you know, kind of like you know, prospect of the year type stuff. Uh, who were the biggest movers, biggest risers? Who had who lost who lost some steam, uh, and all that stuff. And that'll be coming out probably in the next you know month or two. Um, but the it's been a crazy busy couple of months on the minor league side between the draft, the IFA period, trade deadline, uh, prospect list coming out everywhere. So. Um, and it's been we've been extraordinarily fortunate to get the support that we've gotten from all of our readers. Um, the last couple of months have been extraordinary for Talking Chop, uh, and we can't thank you guys enough for reading us and listening to us and dealing with us. Um, one thing that I do plan on doing semi regularly is doing the Facebook Live uh, prospect Q and A's. Um, those are a lot of fun. And yeah, go, go watch that. Eric is uh, wildly entertaining on those Facebook Lives. Yeah, people. I have been responding to that really well, uh, and you should definitely come check it out. Um, I don't know exactly if we're going to be doing that like a set time or day or anything, uh, but I'm definitely going to try to do them more regularly. It's uh, another way just to kind of you know reach out to you guys and you know when you desperately need to hear my dulcet tones in between my once every three weeks appearance on these podcasts. It feels like now, um, you know, I'll be on there, um, and then all the guys that are doing the minor league coverage, they always have something cooking. Uh, I usually find out about three hours before it posts that they've got something awesome for me to put out there. So uh, we got great stuff coming over the shop over at talking shop. So just keep, just keep looking. Absolutely. And uh, I want to thank you guys publicly, you, especially Eric for all your work. And uh, we, uh, I'll say it so you don't have to, we have the best uh, prospect stuff for the Atlanta Braves on the internet. So um, stay tuned to that. And also we still have a major league team uh, that you guys have been faithful in supporting. So even, even during a, a down period, as we've all kind of mentioned <laughs> over and over again, but uh, our readership is good. As you mentioned, it's been a lot of fun uh, to have everybody following the uh, podcast and, and the website in general. Uh, I should say now, if you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, uh, now would be a good time to do that. Uh, iTunes is the easiest way and the fastest way to get the podcast. And uh, please leave us a favorable review if you are uh, willing and able to do so. And again, uh, we're always here every week. Uh, give us a uh, follow, tell your friends. And uh, Braves Country, we thank you very much. And uh, stay tuned for next week's podcast. And, be- and before we let you go, Brad is always open to trade suggestions about the Atlanta Hawks. He wants to hear everything that you have to say about who you think the Braves should, who the Hawks should trade for, uh, and especially, especially who they, the moves that they should have uh, made in the previous uh, season. Oh, please, please don't do that. But I appreciate Eric's uh, willingness to put that out there. But uh, I'll, I guess, yeah, sure. Give, give, bring me your hate, bring me your love, whatever you want to do. <laughs> at, at, at BT Roland, you can follow the podcast at Talking Chop. Follow Eric at Leprechaun. Uh, just follow us, talk to us, engage us, and uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. 